Welcome to Shoot the Breeze, where we take a nostalgic look at a random football magazine from the past. I'm Andy Smith, and with me is Tom Brogan. Hello. In each episode, we'll invite a special guest to join us trawling through the magazine and discuss anything contained within it. This could be anything from an article, to a photo, to a competition, to an advert. Basically, if it's in it, we'll talk about it. So sit back and let's shoot the breeze. Wriggles clear. Might just get the chip and he does, he's scored! Oh, what a great Our special guest this week is Stephen Buchanan. Hello. Thank you for joining us, Stephen. Thanks for having Welcome. me. Welcome. Scottish Comedian of the Year, 2018, BBC New Comedy Awards. Yep, 2018. 2018, <laughs> a big year. I'm a, I'm a has-been. <laughs> so, Thanks for coming in, Stephen. Yeah, no th thank you. Um, the, the magazine we're looking at today is a, a shoot magazine from the 20th of October 1979. So... Just um, a wee personal question here. How old are you? Uh, I'm 28. Right, so this is a little bit before your time then? Yeah, I was minus 12 when there this came go. out. So, I mean, I, I hope that as you look through it, there was a, you know, it was enjoyable enough and you yeah. could relate to a lot of it. Yeah, no, I enjoyed reading it. It was, it was a, a nice piece of history that I was getting into. Good stuff, good stuff. <laughs> so, if we start off at the, the front cover. So, the front cover has Mick Mills, um, in his England kit and Alan Hunter, Northern Ireland. So both are at Ipswich Town and they could be in action against each other in Belfast the following week. And the, the title says, Clubmates but International Rivals. Um, some other headings on the page is, who are, out of the who are our 12 most valuable players? So I think we're going to have a look at see who the, the best players or the most valuable players are in the English league, probably, considering... I don't think there's going to be any Scottish league players in there. <laughs> Maybe a few Scots. Yep. Um, and they're going to have a European Championship preview. So there was a European Championships going on at this point. And there was Northern Ireland versus England, Scotland versus Austria, Republic Ireland versus Bulgaria, and West Germany versus Wales. And this was, you know, this magazine for the, for the price of 20 pence was an absolute bargain. <laughs> then, and, you know... We, we talk about it every week on here. If, if we do the inflation calculator, it comes out as something stupid, like a pound fifty. Um, but we don't believe that's what it would cost these days. Yeah. I mean, to get a magazine like that weekly, even monthly, you're probably talking four or five pounds. So yeah. I think I think we've got a bit of a bargain there. And it does say it's still Britain's best-selling soccer magazine. Now, I so think this is... Why was that, Andy? Was, I think was this is because Match just came onto the scene at this point. So Match magazine, Match Weekly... Um, had sort of just released that year and was looking to pick up um, from the from the you know the the numbers and the fans but shoot for this period of time and for a long time after was still the number one were um, these your magazines these these are magazines so the magazines that I've got in my collection are magazines I've collected again after so I would have so not when you were young. We would have got them. So there was myself, three brothers and a sister. So we would have got Shoot Magazine. We would have got things like Roy the Rovers and Tiger um, and Match when it came out, possibly. But obviously, when you're a wee boy and you have these, 
the last thing in your mind is, oh, I'm going to keep these in great yeah. order and great nick. You cut things out, you take the posters out, you put them up, yeah. uh, you know, you, you throw them away when you're finished. So, I mean, it's it's the phrase ephemera is basically, it's like a paper item which isn't meant to be kept, but it does, it, it becomes a collector's item. So, yeah. it, basically, I've, I've, I've become a bit of a, a, a freak, um, a collectible <laughs> freak. So, so, was there anything about when you were sort of growing up, a football weekly uh, you know, I guess there was 442 and stuff, monthly magazines. Yeah, there was football magazines like that. I would probably, I, well, I don't know if I'm allowed to say who I support, but like... Uh, uh, it's up to you, <laughs> if, if you want, you know. Uh, in case, well, I, I used to buy like Rangers News or, or whatever, like uh, right. those kinds of magazines more specific to my team when I was growing up rather mm. than... But I would get like, I was probably more uh, like, I loved the sticker books that you get, like Panini stickers. I would always get them. Because uh, for me, it was always about the pictures. It was never about reading the articles. Yeah. So. And I don't know if there was anything like that. For Did you have stickers and stuff? Stickers, I think you might have... Have you got a book? I'll, I'll have a wee check here. Did I bring a book? I didn't bring a book. But what I did bring is... You may have been aware of these as well. Um, these League Ladders things. Did you ever see things like this? No, but... I, I think I read something in this about the yeah. you could collect it. Yeah. So so what what you would get is you would you would get these. Um, you can just open it up there. Yeah. Um, so you'd have this cardboard pull out thing, and each of the you know you've got each division, and you can pull out the tabs. Yeah. And week to week or game to game, you can put them in the position. So it it would get you involved in you know working out the results where, seeing where people were in the league. Aye. But in, in reality, from my experience, the it was a great interest, it was great waiting for them. You would get the main one um, with the English First Division, the Scottish um, Premier and the First Division. Um, you get that one week and then the next week you would get English Division 2 and 3. So it would be done over maybe two or three weeks. But from my experience, I remember you'd be really excited and you keep them up to date for maybe the first two weeks, three weeks after that, it's a lot of work to yeah. start moving things <laughs> about. And what happens is the tabs snap or it snaps there or your mum comes in with the vacuum cleaner <laughs> and they get, they get, one of the other things I remember, it, the skirting board, that would always go on, they would always go under the skirting board. Yeah. And, you know, as, as I've grown, this is a strange thing, but as I've grown up and, you know, I've done DIY things, you realise a skirting board is just, placed against the wall. But I, was, I thought that was like Lost a big forever. abyss that these things went into. It's like, if something went in there, there was no recovering, that, that was it. So, um, but yeah, the, the league ladders was the thing. The, the the stickers as well, we did have some stickers in um, on one of the other the podcasts. Because um, the league ladders was the era where the league tables would be printed like in a Sunday newspaper and that would be it. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's where you, you would sort of update it yourself because it seems mad now. Like, why would you update you know you can look at a league table yeah. at any time you want now well, there's i mean there's two train of thoughts on that it's like because of the way football's played now it's played you know most of the days of the week different times you know it, i suppose it lends it to it, it maybe makes it a little bit easier to keep it updated because you're doing it a little bit by little bit whereas before you'd have all the results on a saturday um and you would do everything on mass so i guess there's that but also, it means that you're constantly doing it. If, if you were doing this today, you'd be constantly doing it. And I don't know if, certainly not today, the attention span isn't there yeah. for kids to 
to to actually keep that up. Yeah. And know. this was the way also when you, you remembered what colours teams played in and what their nickname was and what ground Aye. they had because that was the wee bits of detail on the, the tabs. Yeah. And in some ways it was the only way that you could find that information out. Um and, and was there like certain was there only like a certain amount of leagues that you followed? Because when I was younger I remember watching like Sky Sports News and it would league after league, it would just go through like every country mm. and you like you know teams from like Croatia and stuff yeah. like that. Was it like that or was it only like a certain amount of Well certainly certainly in, in, in the League Ladders it was just the the British leagues. Well yeah. I say British, it was just the Scottish and English leagues. Um within the shoot magazines and match magazines and things like that, there there was sometimes a page, maybe two pages, um, devoted to European football or world football, and you get little, little snippets of um, information about what was going on. And I seem to remember that you get a couple of pages, two or three pages as well, of the results and the team lists and the scorers and the tendencies. And I also remember when it was close season, you used to get the Australian ones, I think you used to, or you get the League Island ones occasionally as well. But I, I, I remember that you used to get the Australian ones, which was a, a really strange thing. But I don't really remember the be. There, yeah. there wasn't, there wasn't that. For, I, I don't remember hearing much about results in Europe, um, when I was a wee boy. I don't. No, really and there was things like I think the Rangers News or the Celtic View would have a wee page or a half page, would be sort of round up in Europe, yeah. and it would basically tell you, you know, Ajax and. Uh, Altmar were fighting for the title or, or whatever and you would get wee snippets and But would that usually be because they were maybe playing them? I think they just or? done a, a regular sort of European roundup kind kind of thing, you know. Uh, there might be a specific focus yeah. of a European game. But that but that was kinda what you would get there is wee snippets about Europe half a page or something like that. About European team. And sometimes that would be enough for you to know Aye. who was who was who kind of thing. But of course, English teams were in Europe, Scottish teams were in Europe, so you started to know. And that's how I know geography, as, <laughs> as, as European football teams. That's yeah. how I, I know where yeah, you know a, a place is, and a, yeah. a, a country kind of thing. Because I was like, I Liverpool played them in you know, 1986 yeah. or something. Because like, well, yeah. I always used to go look at all the leagues and try and remember all the teams, because we used to play like a game where you know, you'd go through the alphabet and then yeah, everyone yeah. names yeah, yeah. a team that begins with A, then B, and I used to try and... I wanted to be good at that, so I just tried to remember <laughs> names. I didn't know what leagues or anything they played in, but I'd try and remember the names of the I teams. Like, that's, not, that's not a team. <laughs> that's not a <laughs> and you well, didn't have, you couldn't. I didn't have Google when I was a kid or anything, so you couldn't be like, prove it, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, you know how we had to prove things when we were, because the internet wasn't there. That you'd have to write into something like Ask just Sam or Ask Sam was it called? Aye. Um, in a news, so you'd have to write in a newspaper <laughs> and hope that it would reply in about a month, <laughs> and you know actually get to yours. And you know if there was a reply and it was in your favour, you would then get that paper and go down to the pub. See, I told you, <laughs> six weeks after the argument. So yeah, it's changed days indeed. So pages two to six is sort of devoted to the, up, the upcoming European Championship qualifiers. Uh, group one was an interesting group. That had Northern Ireland in England and the Republic of Ireland, or ERA, as they, they're referred to a lot here. Um, and I think, as you said, Tom, you don't really hear them no. called ERA now, nowadays. Do we have any theory as to why that is? No, I don't. If anybody knows. Yes. I, I only ever used to say that when it was on, like, the... Uh, Eurovision Song Contest and it was always it was always written like that and I yeah. never knew who it was I think when I was a wee boy I wasn't quite sure how it was pronounced either yeah it was like it's, it's not an obvious one I don't no. think I think 
it probably is obvious, but I think if if you tried it, you'd probably get it wrong. As a wee boy, or I did, so it's mostly me. Is it Gaelic? No, for for Ireland, maybe. Possibly. Yeah, yeah, you got us out with that one. <laughs> as as always, uh, answers on a postcard, please, uh, with a twelve and a half pence stamp. Um, so, is era Gaelic? It's, I mean, it sounds Gaelic, doesn't yeah, it? Might yeah, might be. Yeah, there we go. We'll say it's Gaelic. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, Northern Ireland, we're playing England at Windsor Park. Republic Ireland, we're playing Bulgaria at Lansdowne Road. And Group Seven, uh, Wales were away to West Germany, and. In Group 2, Scotland were at home to Austria. Um, so Eng- England were top of their group at this stage, with nine points from five games. So that might sound strange, but at this point it was still two points for a... this stage it was still two points for a win. Again, there was only one winner that went through as well. Um, so I think the it was... In Euro 8, it was in Italy. So I think yeah. basically eight teams were in the, the European Championships. And I mean, that's obviously expanded you know, to 400 in order to try and get Scotland in, but um, <laughs> we've still not managed that. Um, England would top their group, so they would go on to top their group. The game against Northern Ireland would end in a thrashing. Um, it was 5-1 to England, so that that was quite a thrashing that the Northern Ireland took there. Two goals from Trevor Francis, two from Woodcock, and uh, Chris Nicol on goal. Um, 17,500 at the game. So this was in uh, Belfast... But uh, interestingly, this was in the era where Scotland refused to play in Belfast because obviously you still had the home With internationals. Troubles. Yeah, but uh, England didn't. England and Wales still played in Belfast, but Scotland refused to play in Belfast from, I think, 1971 until we get drawn against Northern Ireland in the World Cup group and they realised that if they refused to play in Belfast, they would get kicked out of the World Cup. So they had to play, and, and so they, they stopped the, the ban. So the Northern Ireland, Scotland... Games for the home internationals were played at Hamden, so that was like Northern Ireland's home game, right. which I think suited them all right because they got the gate money for yeah. that, and it was probably a bigger crowd at Hamden than it would have been at Windsor Park. But it's just interesting that England yeah, continued yeah. to play in, in Belfast. And the thing is, I mean, this was at the height the height of the troubles over there, and you know, part of the the article here actually focuses on the, the some of the troops that are there, you know, England fans that are there, and how they would be patrolling outside the ground and. You know, at the time, that's that's how things were. But when you sort of look back um, and you think that's that's just crazy, and you know, in this United Kingdom and in, in the Repub- in the Northern Ireland, that you've got troops there outside the ground with machine guns or yeah. rifles um, patrolling, and it's you know, I'm I'm much happier with where we are today than where that was. So Eng- England would finish unbeaten. Um, they got 15 out of 16 points uh, Northern Ireland finished second on 9 points and Republic on third on 7 but as I said it didn't really matter because it was only the top team that went through Cause, uh, well there was, a, there was something else like later on in the magazine that said about how they were changing the system of mm-hmm. who was going through so at that point it was only one yeah. team per group yeah. and then like yeah, later on it was like they didn't know how they were going to manage it because there was a certain amount of teams mm-hmm. and I think that's when you know the groups are always a wee bit odd like yeah. there's a certain amount of teams in one group yeah. and then one's got less yeah you've got some with four and a couple with five as yeah. well yeah um, so Wales um, would go to West Germany um, so West Germany are going to qualify with 10 points Wales finished third below Turkey so they, and Wales were on six points um, but it was Wales turn for a thrashing that night so they got beat 5-1 at West Germany as well. 
So so far, not a apart from the English, not a great night for the for the British clubs. Um, Scotland, let's get to Scotland. See how we did. Uh, we finished second bottom of our group, and um, Belgium went through on twelve points. Scotland had seven points, and we drew the game one each with Austria. Um, it was Archie Gamble with the Scotland goal, and Hans Kranko had put the Austrians ahead after eleven minutes. And again, sixty-seven thousand eight hundred and ninety-five. Was this a midweek game, Tom? Do you know? Um, I think it probably, probably yeah. was. I mean, and that, that's like you're getting 68,000 going to Hamden in a midweek to support Scotland. And, you know, I, talking about Hamden, it's like, you know, it gets, it's not, it's not the greatest stadium in the world. We know that. Um, it's a bit dated and things. But the fact is, people talk about the atmosphere and how the pitch is so far away and stuff. But, you know, that wasn't much different in the past. So, you know, for me, the atmosphere is based on what's been performed on the pitch. You, you can the the West Ham. I mean, I've I've felt seen some great atmospheres at the games where where they're on top and they're winning these games. So at the end of the day, if if you're producing or you're providing, you know, rubbish on the pitch or thing that's not entertaining, it doesn't matter which stadium you're in. Yeah, it's gonna it's not going to be a great atmosphere. So I, I think Hamden gets a bit of a raw deal. Um, was the stadium different? Like, was it much different? Because it's well back back then. Got that big so what wouldn't have been all seated back then? So it would have just been the Stand. main stand that was that was seated, and they were was they still wooden seats back yeah. then? Yeah, um, and the rest it was just terracing. So um, and probably not covered at that point as well. No. Um, which I, I, lo- I love uncovered grounds, especially when the weather's okay. Um, <laughs> it's just the, the view of it. You can, because I think because you can see the fans right up to the top, it's like it then it's fans' heads and then it's just sky. You know, whereas now you sort of get shadow, you know, with the, the roof over, so you get shadow, so you don't really see the fans all the way up quite a lot. Yeah, I'd, you know, listen, I th- I'd love to have a stadium the way that. You know, Ireland has a new stadium. Wales have a new stadium. England have a new stadium. But you know, I, I still think we're blaming the wrong thing for Hamden's, you know, its foibles for its the lack lack of atmosphere. I, I just don't think it's the ground. I think it's what's been played, played in the, the pitch, park. Yeah. I mean, you see yourself. I mean, do you do you remember the '98 World Cup? Uh, vaguely, but I w- probably I was at that age where I would have watched it, but. It's not that it's nothing that stuck in my memory. Yeah. I was probably more like early two thousands where I was really yeah. like taking an, a proper interest. So, so you you've not really experienced yeah. Scotland, no. that you can actually, you know, get hopes up and you know have them dashed, but, but actually to be in tournaments because I mean it's like I keep saying this, I'd love to be in the situation where we were as bad as that again. <laughs> you know, it's like I'd love to be as bad as we were in '78, as bad as we were in '82, '86, '90. You know, because you still had a bit of because we, we, well, because we still got to tournaments and yeah. we, you know we were we were still producing players that you know give you that hope. Uh-huh. But then again, we still have that hope, and we've got you know not the greatest <laughs> players, so I don't think it's so much that. I think the closest one for me was when we played Italy. We lost that last minute. Oh. That goal at the end. Oh. Yeah. Was, that, was that the one that should have been our foul? Yeah. 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 Or oh. it was like a throw, was it a throw in or something? It was something, a wrong decision. I think it was, was it? Uh, was, was that, that a free the, kick? I, was that the Christian, that wasn't the Christian Daly one, was it? 
Alan Hutton. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nice for a foul. Like, it, was it was a foul, foul on him. him. But yeah. then we didn't need to defend the free kick yeah. properly uh, when it, when it came You're one of them. Let's concentrate on the, the better part. <laughs> So, um, so from the European Championships, the teams that qualified were Italy's hosts, Czechoslovakia, Greece, Spain, England, Belgium, Netherlands and West Germany. Um, so it was a group of West Germany, Czechoslovakia, Netherlands and Greece. Uh, West Germany won that group, Czechoslovakia second. And Belgium, Italy, England and Spain is quite a, you know, that's quite a, a group there of, of teams. So Belgium finished first. Italy were also they were joint first but Belgium went through and goals scored so both of them had four points but Belgium I think scored a couple of goals more England finished third and Spain finished rock bottom with only one draw and two losses England 1-1 draw with Belgium they got beat 1-0 with Italy and then they beat Spain 2-1 um, so you know it, probably that's that's more a sort of Scotland type competition where you go in there with all these hopes and you end up you know pretty much being out before the last game but in the last game you end up beating I, I, you know Spain weren't the team that they were yeah they are, they are today or they have been in recent recent history um, so the final Belgium West Germany was at Olympic Stadium in Rome um, and it was 2-1 to West Germany um, I'm not even going to try and pronounce the <laughs> the goal scorers you want to Hrubesh got two goals. Horst Hrubesh. Hrubesh and um, Van der Rijken. Van der Rijken for Belgium. We'll just, where I went Van der Rijken, <laughs> we'll, in the edit, we'll just speed that up so it sounds naturally <laughs> like me actually saying it. So basically, we've got, you know, the, the warm-up and pages two to six is the, the warm-up. Um, it was a horrible night for Northern Ireland. Scotland all but dismissed their chances of qualification and Republic Ireland went down, th or they won 3-0 against Bulgaria in front of 22,000 fans and England were pretty much relentless, relentless in their group. Um, so as I've mentioned, one of the articles is about the troops, the, the English fans who will be on duty around the ground at the game. So, you know, change days and I think we're all the better for it. Um, so on, on to pages eight and nine, and we have we have Ray Clemens talking soccer, and it's a bit of a misleading headline. So it says, "Why I won't play for England," and you know from that you sort of think, okay, there's, there's a wee bit of you know discord here. We're going to hear about you know why he's he's hung up his boots or hung up his gloves and things like that. But no, basically, Ron Greenwood, the England manager, has... So England at this point have got Ray Clements and Peter Shelton, who you know, are basically two top world-class goalkeepers. So they've got both of those, and even though Peter Shelton's sort of in the driving seat, Ron Greenwood's came in and decided that he will alternate them in games. So from that heading, it's basically Ray saying, well, we're alternating, but I know I'm not playing this game. I'll be playing the next game. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, in order to get a bit of drama, we went for the why I won't play for England. Um, so he still plays in the alternate game? Yeah. It's not like just... No, that, it's, it's not like... If I'm, you don't I'm play throwing, me every game, then I'm not yeah, playing I'm at all. I'm throwing a dummy at the farm. You know, I'm, I'm <laughs> off. I'm off. So part of the reason why Ron Greenwood did this, so back in the 1970 World Cup, so England were at Mexico in 1970, and Gordon Banks was playing, and he got injured during the, the competition, I believe. And the reserve keeper was Peter Benetti, who they brought in. 
and he just wasn't he wasn't ready for it. He wasn't match fit. He wasn't you know sharp enough. And you know I think it sort of took a lesson from that that you need two goalkeepers who are playing. I mean the the another train I thought thought Tom is that you know I think he should have just it was he should have made a decision, picked one and stuck with it. Um, well, they, I mean, they were both. I mean, obviously they both won European cups during that era, so they were probably two of the best goalkeepers in in Europe, and they won league titles. And so, you know, when you've got two players as good as that, you know. Yeah. So in, in the article, Ray mentions that although they're top in the group and almost certain to qualify, that the English team will still receive a lot of criticism from areas of the paper. Um, of the, pe- the press, sorry. So they, they had a one 0 victory over Denmark. That wasn't the greatest performance, but they still got the points. And essentially, they got as ha- as happens through it seems the entire history of football for England. The press just give them a hard time, win, yeah. lose, or draw. Um, and it was mentioned that the nineteen sixty six was. I think in a previous podcast it was mentioned that maybe 1966 gave them that sort of benchmark that everything else was judged against. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't necessarily know if that's what happens these days, but well, it's maybe for, led 1998 is the benchmark we use. Yeah. Like, mind if we get knocked out in 1998, let's get to a finals and get knocked out again. Yeah. <laughs> we never thought in 1998 that that was the high point, but now we're going back, everybody's going back going, remember 1998? Yeah, but you talking about it from a Scotland perspective, Aye. but but we're not sort of judging on that. It's like we're realistic and it's like, yeah, if if, if we play well, we play well. But oh, you're we, talking about that, the high point, I'm saying yeah. the English journalist that was 66 was the high point, and that's what they were judging yeah. against. Like, we need to be winning World Cups. <laughs> So, so as Ray, Ray Clemens says, God forbid that they play well and lose. So, uh, you know, it's getting. It seems to be getting to the players, getting to the team, getting to the squad. Um, so he he praises Greenwood for his record with England and for the qualities he brings, saying that he treats the players like adults. So who was it before Greenwood? Uh, would have been Alf Ramsey. Alf Ramsey. So Don Revy. Don yeah, Don Revy. I think Don would Revy. have been so, and I think he's got a bit of a reputation for possibly, you know, an iron hand and things like that. So, you know, it's he makes a point of that, that he, you know, he's a, obviously a man-manager type of uh, person. So he looks forward to the Northern Ireland game. Um, now, previously, England England had beat Northern Ireland 4-0 at Wembley. Um, and as Ray says, so there's yet another world-class keeper in Pat Jennings, who was a Northern Ireland keeper as well. And Ray says, essentially, I think he's had an off night. He'll never have another off night like that again. And, well, he didn't. He had a worse one. So, um, the 5-1, um, you know, I, I'm sure the, the, the Northern Irish people don't like to talk about that too much. You'd never really get that with a keeper nowadays with alternating keepers, mm. I don't think. Especially our keepers are quite a, a weird choice to... yeah. Do one game on, one game off. Yeah, but, but like I'd, you say, they're probably because it's two world class keepers. But, but, but yeah, but I think as we sort of spoke about, I think it's because the the, the manager to a degree, maybe he he just didn't feel comfortable or strong enough. Um, uh, you know, this is just pure supposition here. But maybe he just didn't want to upset them rather yeah. than saying for the for the good of the team, you're my number one. Yeah. You're 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 basically a number one as well, but I've got to have one. I've got to stick with that, and you know, and if you get your chance, then you become the number one. 
So were they quite big personalities? Yeah, yeah. The, like, I mean, I know Peter Shelton was a bit of a personality. He still is, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and, and again, as we touched on the last time or one of the previous times, you don't get to be world class as they were and play as many games as they did without having a strong personality, without believing in yourself, without being a bit ruthless. So when you get two like that, then I don't think they're going to come together and think, this, so, you, no, you go first. So, no, no, you play first. I think, you know, the, the, there's probably still competition there. But I don't think it's, I don't think I've ever read anything that suggests there was anything negative between the relationship. So I think it was a healthy relationship. Um it's one of these things, if Shelton hadn't been there, Ray Clements would have got well over 100 caps. How many did you say he got? 61. 61. And Shelton got Shelton. 125. So, I mean, it's you could quite easily turn that the other way about and I don't think anybody would have argued. Maybe Peter Shelton. <laughs> yeah, so. But what I loved about those columns, right, because, again, like, shoot, you had, like, that Ray Clements uh, and you would Danny McGrain and uh, various other people. It, it was... For me, as a kid growing up, that was it was great reading this insight from a from a football player, yeah. uh, and you got we because I, I remember specifically a couple of wee bits from the Ray Clements one. I, I remember him saying once that uh, when he's putting up his defensive wall, he didn't like six was too many and three was too few, and he also he always set up a defensive wall of either four or five players, and he would shout at a defender if it was six like. To get out the wall, yeah. and I always remember like that was a great wee insight uh, that you were, you were getting. And I also remember reading in Clemens's column after after a, a particular game, he'd said um, he turned the ball in the post for a corner, but the, but the referee gave a goal kick, and I just thought this was a great wee. Oh wow! <laughs> did, did he got it wrong? That's amazing. Yeah. And, and uh, the keeper, he sort of, you know. Admitted that, that he turned it in the post. And these yeah. wee bits of insight that you didn't get anywhere else. You well, know? I was thinking that, like, when I was, there was, like, a Derek Johnson one as well, I think, and it was it was weird that they were still players. They were playing at the time and they're writing columns yeah. for this magazine. Like, you wouldn't get that with, like, it's like Scott Brown or something writing yeah, a column yeah. today. It's, well, I guess yeah, the closest totally. is Chris Boyd, and it's like people try it's like, well, he's, he's stopped playing now, but when he was playing, and, and everybody was basically saying he shouldn't be writing columns yeah. when he's still playing football. But again, but they're writing columns about themselves and about their career. It, it's not the, he's not talking about yeah. why, you know, my old club are going in the wrong direction or whatever, you know yeah. what I mean? It's like, this is how my career's progressing, and uh, this is how I felt last week went, kind of thing, you know? Yeah. And again, it's that kind of, and I don't really think, you maybe get it in club magazines, kind of thing, or club websites, yeah. but it's maybe a bit more ma- managed. Well, albeit he would have been talking to a, a journalist who would be shaping the who would be shaping the story, but yeah. like I say, it was so like you know Stephen the, the likes saying. of Andy Gray and um, Derek Johnson, things like that. Some of them we have would have been a weekly sort of column, but others ones alternated. So Tartan yeah. Top was uh, Danny McGrain and Ali Dawson. Uh, Ali Dawson, things like that. So it wasn't it wasn't this constant. You know, we talk about the twenty four seven need for information nowadays, and it's like journalists and pundits and stuff always have to have an opinion about everything and they have to have a constant op- and it's like I don't know how somebody can have constant opinions about absolutely everything it's like sometimes you just say I don't yeah, well, know yeah well that's just they would quickly find themselves not getting asked to be in pro if they're yeah. like well, yeah. I'm not the best guy to you know, voice to opinion because <laughs> like, I don't really know enough <laughs> like alright see you later yeah, yeah. so that's why you've got you know Robbie Savage or whoever coming yeah. out and saying this or that's terrible and blah 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 you know so they just got to 
create content and they've got to get on the mic and speak and say something. Mm. Yeah. Just just a note there, uh, make sure we beep out that Robbie Savage bit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, so just at the bottom there, I'm just taking your, your eyesight to this um, cycling to a match. So it's an advert and it's for a speedometer. And it says, it'll tell you just how far and how fast you cycle. And my question is, you know, it's it's basically aimed at people cycling to a match. I don't yeah. ever remember anybody taking a seems, bike to a football match. Seems weird, because you could drink in stadiums. Could could you drink? You could drink and ride a bike as well. <laughs> I could you, yeah, legally? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, not legally. <laughs> no. um, but, you know, I just don't remember. You know, it didn't, didn't seem... It wouldn't seem the most secure area for having... I mean, it didn't yeah, seem the no. most secure area to be... No. With or without a bike, well, but uh, whenever I went to the games, like if I, if my dad drove to, like there's always be a wee guy going, "Oh, John, mate, watch <laughs> your car, mate." Guy, <laughs> <laughs> it's like he's a fiver, and I'll make sure no one pans your windows in. Like yeah. I don't know how you yeah, can I'm do that with a bike. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it's like it just seems a strange audience to to punt it to. Maybe it's just like sport, and they think, "Yeah, we'll give it a go." But yeah, I don't remember anybody taking a bike. Certainly, if they did, it probably wasn't theirs. So. <laughs> there we go. Um, page ten. So soccer films, eight millimeter home movies. So this is this is a really fun, this is a full page, um, and it's a list of various League Cup finals, FA Cup finals, you know, big games, and it's all on eight millimeter um, reels, movie reels, um, and you can actually there's a silent movie projector offer for twenty two pound fifty. So you. You can get the projector as well. It's now, quite a good deal. Oh, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, now, I, my my recollection, I, I don't think outside a, like a cinema environment, I don't think I've ever seen apart from apart from one. I, I say one, um, but I don't think I've actually ever seen a projection outs- back then. Apart from at school, where I remember watching The Wizard of Oz, and it was one of these last days at school sort of thing, and they brought a projection unit out. And I don't remember anybody I knew knew having one, um, whether they had one and just didn't invite me to watch it or that, I don't know. But, see, for me, looking certainly looking back, I mean, I'm sure I would have loved it at the time, but looking back and looking at all the, the games that are available on there, I'd, I'd love to have been a wee boy, sat in a room, curtains drawn, headphones on, you know, just... They also do records as well, so you could either be listening to the commentary from a final or you could just have, you know, projected against the wall, the cup final. Um, even if it's in silence, just watching that and the, the yeah. tick, tick, tick of things. And well, this one says that sound projectors are 9950. Yeah, that's so it. The, the, the 2250 is the, probably the silent. Silent that is, I'll, I'll make up my own commentary. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, what, what did you... Did you have a projector, Tom, when you were a, a no. wee boy? Were you a wee boy? I was a wee boy. I didn't have a projector. Yeah. That would have been a Anybody knew have a projector? Is that instead of a VCR? Was, was that a thing? Uh, yeah, it'd have been early early eighties. Yeah, but they were oh, they were big beasts. They probably yeah. We we would need the three of us to lift one out to the car. The top <laughs> and if, if if you're trying to watch one sneakily in the bedroom or something or in the living room it's like there's no way you would have to get that tape rewound some other way as soon as you press the, the rewind it would go you know it's like are you watching that video again in there <sighs> so yeah it was, a, it was a different experience back then it was um, 
yeah, it was it was it was an experience rather than just play and there it's a thing. Uh, but the, just this whole thing fascinates me. Um, I think I'd I'd like to even get something like that now and just go through them. It's the colour, you know, the the brightness changing and things like that in the room because. While we're on, it's sort of we sidetrack a bit, but one of the things I remember when it was we, and, and again, I, I keep going back to you know, it's a, the fact that you're a bit younger and stuff, yeah. but um, so all the telly, everything that was on the TV was all alone at the same time, right? So there wasn't, um, I'll do it, watch it on demand, or I'll pause this and then I'll play it and stuff. So you used to be able to sit in your living room, you know, for, especially if it was in the evening, and you, and you still have the, the, the curtains open. And you used to be able to tell what the person across the road was watching because if it, the light dimmed and got darker and blah, blah, yeah. at the same rate as yours, <laughs> you knew they were watching the same stuff on the telly. So, which, you know, when the Channel 4 started doing the... the Red Triangle, you yeah, talking well, about? That, no, that's not what I was talking about. Why are you talking about that? <laughs> so, yeah. so Channel 4 started doing the what? Triangle. <laughs> <laughs> well, you need to explain to Stephen what the red. No, the no, red you go. You brought it up. I think I've so, a channel for maybe in the mid eighties or something like that. They brought out a Friday night. They brought out a, a series of red triangle films, which were I think basically sort of European art house movies, but were sexy. It was like softcore. Yeah, porn. but I don't even know if they were always softcore porn, but they were just a bit, you know. Uh, art house with a bit of nudity kind of thing right. and you had the, but, but it was that kind of you will see scuds <laughs> and of course you were 14 or something like yeah. that at the time with your life. It, was, it was like the swinging on adrenaline wasn't it <laughs> but the reason it was called red triangle is because in the top corner they would put a red triangle just to, to warn, warn you. you so right. Yeah. To alert you it's like a, it was like an early reminder yeah so yeah so Maybe we can get one of those red triangle things on an eight millimeter <laughs> film. Um, so just moving on, there's um, the next few pages. So pages eleven to fourteen. So there's these photos of. Uh, so there's two photos on each page, and they're, they're you know, the um, on sort of landscape. So the the round the wrong way. Um, but what what they're actually what they actually used to do, they would they would do some series. Of things like um, captains or um, international or club legends or things like that, and what you would do is you would get these every. Sorry, week. we're going back to Red Triangle because I've just I've, right. I've just I've just looked it up. <laughs> so Red Triangle, uh, Red Triangle. It's the first time he's ever interrupted me like that. <laughs> Launched in nineteen November nineteen eighty two, hoping to gain a reputation as a relatively avant garde alternative to the existing terrestrial stations. Uh, so that doesn't really tell you what we said, does it? <laughs> the films. Themrock, France, no dialogue. <laughs> Pastor, pastoral hide and seek from Japan. Huh? <laughs> Throw away your books, rally in the streets. 1971 <laughs> from Japan, which doesn't sound like a, a blue movie, yeah. does it? Well, it was a 1971 film. No, I know, but... A metaphor for Japan's descent into materialism. Identification of a woman. Right. It's not out, of, out of the blue <laughs> from Canada. Yeah, see, that, that sounds a bit more sort of 80s cheeky. Canadian drama <laughs> starring <laughs> Dennis Hopper. Uh, the film centres on a rebellious and troubled young girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds about right, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, well, that's... Uh, yeah. I mean, I hope things turned out well for her in the yeah. end. <laughs> 
know, she's making art house films. It's respectable nowadays. Isn't Where it? is she now, though? That's what we're asking, Tom. <laughs> so yeah, that was some of the, that was some of the the, the films from yeah. on, the, on the Red Triangle. Thanks for that. That series. was that was worth interrupting me and my flow, <laughs> mate. That was. Was that your flow? That was my flow. That is officially my flow. Right back to the matter in hand. Um, so, as I said, they would provide these. Centre pages, um, it would be probably four pages, double-sided with um, different players on it. And as you can see, there's there's some dots down the middle. So the yeah. purpose of these, you would pull them out, put them with the other ones, and eventually you would create a booklet. And I think what would happen as well, they would they would supply in some issues like a, a bit of string with the metal yeah, metal bits at the end that you could sort of just tie. pins or something Yeah, like something like that. So... Basically, you would end up making a wee booklet. And as you can see here, I mean, this is still in there, so whoever had this magazine basically just hasn't made... I mean, it's it's coming out a bit. I mean, it's old, but, you know, they didn't make full use of the, yeah, the thing I, there. Is I it, thought it would have been for posters or something. I didn't realise it would have been a booklet yeah. when I saw those So you lines. can see that they've got little holes here yeah. as well, so that's where you would you would probably get something like a compass yeah. um, or a, a really sharp kitchen knife or maybe... You know, a, a hatchet or something like that. <laughs> so, something really dangerous and you would punch a couple of holes through it. Um, but so we've got Brian Horton of Brighton. Brian who went on to manage a, a host of clubs, um, including the likes of Man City. He's at Brighton at the time, as they say. I think he was at Luton as well for a period. Um, Alan Moody of Southend. We've got Bristol City's Jerry Gow, who is a Scot. Um, and we've got Alan Ball at Southampton. We've got Peter Aitken at Bristol Rovers. Jerry Gow's one of those guys with grey hair and a moustache in his mid twenties, mm -hmm. and it's a it's a right moustache as well. I mean, it's a it's a red triangle type moustache, isn't it? Jerry Gow is he related to Alan Gow? I don't know. I don't know if he is. What do you think? Should we say yes? Not heard anything. We'll say yes. Ah, he's uh, related to yeah. Jerry Gow. Let's go for that. <laughs> Um, the reason why I ask is later on in it, I seen Frank Lampard, who is obviously his dad. Yeah. yeah, which at the time I was like, he was never <laughs> then, was he? And that was the year he was born, I think maybe. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to I'm going to give you let you have a wee guess at which nationality Shrewsbury Shrewsbury player is Jake King. Um, does it say in the little? Uh, yeah, it does actually. So uh, yeah. oh, I have a guess, Jake he, King. Um, if you call it Jakey King, then maybe that'll... Yeah, OK, it's, 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 it's from Drumchapel. Um, is it's, it? He is Scottish as well. Um, so he's at Shrewsbury. Shrewsbury? Shrewsbury. I'm having trouble with that word. Um, Burnley's Peter Noble, famously one of the the lesser-haired footballers of the time. So, um, well, bald. Can, can we say bald? Yeah. Bold's all right, so. isn't it? So, he's so Peter Noble for Burnley apparently scored 27 out of 27 penalty kicks. Uh, the only time he ever missed one, the referee ordered a retake and he scored the second time. <laughs> and, and apparently once he, he uh, took a penalty and scored it and got a groin injury while hitting the penalty kick and immediately got substituted. Yeah. Good. There we go. So just back to Brian Horton there. So, oh, sorry, the last one there is just an international captain. So there's, there's a few different players there, including Sandy Jardin. Um, for Scotland one, so it's just all the, the, the home international teams um, and their captains. Um, Brian Horton managed at Hull, Oxford City, Man City, Huddersfield, Brighton, Port Vale and Macclesfield. Um, Jerry Gow was from Glasgow. 
He played for Bristol City, Man City, Rotherham and Barnsley. Um, sadly, he died of cancer in 2016, so he's no longer with us. And he played 375 league games for Bristol City. So he's basically one of these Scottish players who spent their entire career down in England. Um, Jake King, uh, he was born in Glasgow in 1955. Uh, he played at Shrewsbury. I'm having real problems with the word Shrewsbury. 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 Did you say he played for Stoke? Well, he went on to Wrexham and Cardiff, so I'll just I'll just mention those in future. <laughs> and he dispel at Limerick. Um, this is fascinating. He was a chef before turning pro. And then he ran some restaurants after finishing. But he ran a restaurant in Ireland for five years where he would commute from England to personally run the kitchen. To Ireland? Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming it wasn't daily. <laughs> and, you know, maybe he just went there for the weekends or something like that. But, I mean, that's... It's a bit of a commute, isn't it? Yeah, it must have been some chef as well. Yeah. Yeah, so... It's like uh, the opposite of Gordon Ramsay. He was football then chef, wasn't he? Yeah, plus he also just opens up a restaurant and then just never comes back. And lets <laughs> I think that's the Jamie Oliver stuff and that as well, isn't it? They just yeah. basically put their name on it, do an opening. Jamie's Kitchen. And then away they go. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. So we're on to page 16. Um, no holiday for teams at Gayfield now. So this is about a broth. Um, and we've got a photograph of manager Albert Henderson. And down the bottom there's also a photograph of Steve Archibald at Aberdeen. So, Stephen, we, we said earlier on you'd won the Scottish Comedian of the Year Awards yep. 2018 and the BBC New Comedy Awards 2018. So the BBC New Comedy Award is quite a big shield to win. Eh? Yeah. Peter Kay previously won it. Yep, Peter Kay. Josie Long. Josie Long. David O'Doherty. Yep, Lee Mack was in the... F I don't know if he won, but he was in the final. Um, it's quite a few big names. So how did that, how did that feel winning that? Yeah, it was quite surreal winning that at the time. Um, didn't expect to win it. I was happy just to be like in in amongst it in the final. Uh, but yeah, it was it was nice. And do you do you find now that you've got a big award winner that you can sell more tickets, but people are a bit more like right? Well, I hear this guy's meant to be funny. Well, yeah, like I was doing the fringe there in Edinburgh, and basically my room was really small, so separating me I didn't have a dressing room it was just a curtain but people weren't aware so I was listening to the audience as they were coming in and people saying like oh this guy thinks he's the Scottish Comedian of the Year the best comedian in Scotland it's, like, it's, it's a competition I'm not claiming to be the funniest person in Scotland like, we'll see how funny he is and then you go out and they're sitting there. it's usually like 60 year old guys like let's see if this week is quite funny and then you'd have to try and it's an uphill battle from the start but it's, it's, a, it's a strange um, attitude to come in for. Right, right, you entertain me. I think me. it's a Scottish thing. Yeah. I think it's like don't get ahead of yourself yeah. kind of thing. Like I always remember, like um, uh, yeah, like you guys down. It's actually you know Mark Jennings. Yeah. He always tells me a story about his grandpa used to work with Billy Connolly, and he was like saying like, oh, this guy works down the shipyards, thinks he's going to be a comedian, he thinks he's funny, <laughs> yeah. and it turns out to be one of the best comedians <laughs> in the world. I'm sure. I'm sure they kept him. You know, kept him in his place more than, more than <laughs> a couple of times. Right. Okay, so um, back to the, the magazine. So we have an article here that says, no holiday for teams at Gayfield now. So this is about a broth. Um, we've got uh, manager Albert Henderson, a photograph of him. Um, and underneath there's also a photograph of Steve Archibald at Aberdeen. So the article starts off, Aberdeen manager Alex Ferguson couldn't hide his frustration and neither could his players. He said, 
we couldn't just couldn't get moving. The I almost stopped during the game to make sure that they had eleven players on the field. As soon as the ball dropped at your feet, there seemed to be a five or both players about. Now the next at this point, you think, oh, this must have been a good win for a broth. They must have really, or you know. But then they say, uh, you know, thankfully we'd won four 0 in the previous <laughs> game. So this was the second leg of a, a cup game, and it was like they're building it up as if, oh, this is a big shock. It's, you can't believe this. Yeah, we were 4-0 up from the first game, so <laughs> I think that makes a big difference to how they played. Um, yeah. But I think um, th- there was a lot of... I think a, a broth were taking a lot of plaudits at the time as well. I think they, they've been doing really well. Um, They're a semi-pro team as well. Yeah. That's quite so, good, isn't it? Yeah. Archibald said they are a good team, and more and more players are starting to agree with them. Um, when the sun is blazing, this this another thing. If you know a broth, it says when the sun is blazing down and the North Sea beside the ground is calm, it is an idyllic setting. Now, I, you know, apart from the wind and the cold, <laughs> and, you know, I, I don't know how often that happens. A broth are current raining, um, currently ruining the happy holiday outing for teams. So essentially, teams. Previously thought, we'll go to a broth, it's nice and it looks lovely, nice and idyllic, but they're, they're coming there now and they're actually getting a bit of a game. Manager Albert Henderson is one of the longest serving bosses in Britain, 12 years at Gayfield, um, and he make, must take a lot of credit for keeping the club afloat. He's worked well in the transfer market. So he, he, he relatively recently brought Dave Smith, Andy Penman and Willie Matheson, all from Rangers, to a broth, where he did a, you know, a sound job, they say, before moving them on. It was also mentioned that he had um, Gordon Marshall as a goalkeeper there for four years. So that's Gordon Marshall Senior. You know, uh, Gordon Marshall, the, yeah. the goalkeeper, used to play for 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 Celtic Celt- and Falkirk was it as well? He played for. Um, so Gordon Marshall Senior was he played at Hibs for quite a while. He played at Celtic for a little bit as well, hadn't he? Um, was Hearts. There, was there a Rangers Gordon Marshall start? Then have a wee Gordon check. Gordon Marshall Senior. But I'm sure I'm sure he played for. Um, maybe he played for both. Um, Hibs Hearts and Celtic and Rangers um, if we can get clarification on that it's uh, so God Marston Senior played uh, one game for Celtic I think he played a European game and uh, God Marston Junior was on the books at Rangers 82-83 uh, before uh, he later joined Celtic and played I think over 100 league games for Celtic so I'm, I'm, you know we're at a broth so who am I going to mention from a broth None other than my hero, Jim Gallagher. So Jim Gallagher came from a broth, I think, back in 1972 uh, when he joined Bank. So he was at a broth for a little bit there. You know, it must have been some travel. I don't, I don't know. It'd be nice to ask Jim that, you know, how how the travelling worked coming from over Bank way um, and going to a broth for the games. And a broth, funnily enough, are also the the senior club. So the senior Bank team, it's a record score against them so 8-0 was it Tom? 8-1 8-1 so 8-1 um, I don't think Clyde, uh, Jim Gallagher was in goal that game <laughs> should, we, should we ask him that as well? Next one on the same page um, it's Clyde won the race for Keeper Conaghan so it's about Dennis Conaghan and he's currently with Clyde so he, he was at um, Celtic Park uh, with Celtic before um, and he was back at Parkhead but facing them this time with Clyde rather than playing for them he says, it was a sad day when I left the club on a free transfer, but I'm delighted to be with Clyde now. Craig Brown, who's a boss at Clyde, certainly knows his football and has the intense 
of the uh, the club at heart. So you know, even at this point, you know, Craig Brown gets a a hard time, but you know, I think even at this point, it was clear he had a lot of success at Clyde. Maybe not titles and things like that, although he did get some titles. Um, but I think as a footballer, man, it was obvious, and I think a lot of people forget that. You know, even with Scotland, I mean, he, he got us to tournaments. I mean, that that's all we want. It's like you know, it, even now we would we would rather play the sort of defensive way like Andy Roxburgh played and things like that, and get there rather than you know what we have at the moment, which is a bit of nothing. Uh, so you know, Craig Brown is getting a good mention away back then as well. So it was in the Glasgow Cup. Uh, Celtic ended up winning three 0 Conaghan's career took him from Celtic to St Mirren, and then he went to the US for a little bit. And the the St Mirren Celtic game stands out for Dennis. Um, they took the lead, but then were pummeled with him performing heroic. So so there was a, a Celtic. St Mirren game where he actually performed heroics in it. I think St Mirren were 1-0 up and eventually a, a wonderful strike by Tommy Gemmel got them back uh, level and it ended up 1-1. After Celtic la- lost to Thistle in the 71 Cup final, they went in search of a new keeper and that's when Jockstein, Jockstein brought him to the club. Um, he struggled to make the position his own but he played in both matches against Atletico Madrid in the European Cup semi-final in 71, I think it was. And that was the, the disgraceful... 74. 74. 74, sorry. Um, so, I mean, that's went down in history as a really brutal um, couple of games. Certainly, I think the first first leg at Celtic Park, um, Atletico, you know, famously or infamously, uh, very violent and brutal. And I think it was in the return, there was... There's a couple of Celtic players that sent off in that. Was that the the South the South American team that I'm thinking of in that game? Certainly the World Club Championship. Yeah. There's players sent off, but uh, yeah, I can tell you about the second the second leg. Mm-hmm. So Dennis picked up a Scottish League, uh, a Scottish Cup medal that year after Celtic beat Dundee United as well. Uh, he moved to Air United and he actually had, which I didn't know, he had a spell at Clydebank. Did you yes, know that? Yes, I had a few before he moved to Morton and helped them win the first division title in 1977. After that, Morton bought Roy Baines from Celtic, of all places, and Conaghan was on his travels again, this time ending up at Clyde. Um, let's move on to the next one. So page 19 is Forrest win Adidas European Team of the Year award. So there's, um, there's a nice wee photograph here of the... It's So Adidas have basically... Um, done this competition for top team in Europe and um, top scorers as well. So Nottingham Forest have won this one, and there's a photograph with uh, Trevor Francis receiving the trophy, um, and a few of the other players who have got the uh, Keith Kirst of Alkmaar um, got the top scorer with 34 goals. Thomas Mavros of AEK, AEK and Laszlo Fehet of Uspest. Um, pronunciations. Somebody will pick up on those. And <laughs> um, those were both on 31. So first and second place, golden boot, silver boot. But the, there was two silver boots, so they, they shared that, or they, they got one each as well. Um, Liverpool, Liverpool had won the award for the team the previous year. Forrest won it this year, and Ajax was second, and Strasbourg was third. So, I mean, I think it was quite a prestigious event at the time. There wasn't, like, so the Ballon d'Or 
or you know there wasn't all these awards at that time so I think it was a relatively new thing doing these awards and I think Adidas sort of I mean the, you can see from the the awards as well so they, they are the, the, the Adidas logo as well um, apart from the boots so it's a very good job for Forrest um, so we're just going to take a little break off here and ask you so I don't know if you're aware of the, the focus on sections that they get so it's, it's basically in, in the magazines a player will be asked a series of you know just short questions and things right. like that and they give their answer and that's what we're going to do now okay so if you just give us the answers to the wee questions just whatever pops into your head full name Stephen Buchanan or I could give you my middle name as well yeah full, that's the full name yeah <laughs> Stephen Peter Buchanan okay uh, place, place of birth Glasgow first car uh, Renault Clio Y Reggie, 1999. What colour was it? It was like a shiny blue. A shiny blue. <laughs> it was like a sort of sparkly blue. Yeah. Favourite player? Of all time, all time. Uh, Van Bronckhorst. Okay. Favourite team? Rangers. Okay. Most memorable match? Um, funnily enough, I don't know why this is my most memorable match, but I went to see St Mirren play Wraith Rovers uh, and it was 5-1 to St Mirren. Uh, I think it was to get promoted to uh, the Premier mm -hmm. League. And it was like one of the first football games I went to, so I was probably like, that's like one. Of, it was a big moment yeah. for me. But I didn't, like, wasn't allowed to go to a Rangers game yet, so I went to a St Mirren <laughs> game yeah, instead. Yeah. I get that. <laughs> so what's been your biggest thrill? Um, probably winning the BBC New Comedy Award. Shout. What's been your biggest disappointment? Um, God, I've, I've you know I've I'm not disappointed with anything I've ever done. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't know. Like, is your I, biggest disappointment your lack of big disappointments? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll go for that. Then. Uh, what's the best country you visited? Um, probably, well, like America. Like I went to New York last year. That was probably my favourite place. Mm -hmm. Or I went. To, I was in Australia this year, which yeah. was nice. Okay. One of those. Were you, were you gigging out there? Yeah, I was gigging in Australia. I was just going on holiday to New York. How were the, how were the gigs in Australia? Yeah, good. I, I was doing uh, Perth Fringe and Adelaide Fringe. And Perth, I loved Perth. I'd definitely go back there. I wasn't really a fan of Adelaide. So if you're going to Australia, I'd, I'd recommend Perth. Yeah. <laughs> What's your favourite food? Uh, pizza. Pizza. Miscellaneous likes. Just give me two things you like. In, uh, in life? Just anything. So what, what, what do you like? What do I like? Yeah. That's such a vague question. It's, what do I like? <laughs> could be vague answers. Uh, I like... Um, <laughs> pizza. I like well, yeah. I was trying to think of something that I've not like said yet. I like comedy. Right. <laughs> I like going to see stand up, and I like uh, films. Like any film. Okay. Miscellaneous dislikes. Again, just give me two things that drive you mental. Um, I hate. Um, I hate. 
like Christmas nights out at comedy gigs. <laughs> okay. uh, because it's quite specific, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, because I've done one last week and it was the one of the worst experiences I've had. So because you've got an audience you've no really wanting to listen to. Yeah, well, exactly. Comedy. It's people who are out with like their work pals, so that it's a weird atmosphere already. Like they don't really know each other that well, and they just want to get steaming and then just cause a ruckus like there's no point in going to comedy if you're wanting to just get steaming and most of them are coked up as well so yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. there's no point out listening to someone talking about fajita kits you know, <laughs> that's one of my things I yeah, talk yeah. about but yeah. um, okay well, well we'll take that as two dislikes yeah, then, okay? <laughs> so what's your favourite TV show um, of all time The Office okay good show favourite singer uh, probably well my favourite bands like Arctic Monkeys so I'll say Alex Turner okay favourite actor Leonardo DiCaprio who's your best friend uh, my girlfriend okay. <laughs> just in case she listens to this yeah, but you also <laughs> laugh so that, that sort of negates it who's, your, who's been your biggest influence um, in comedy probably either Kevin Bridges or uh, like I used to love Peter Kay when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's who I st- don't, don't love him now. Well, I <laughs> I've kind of grown up a bit. Like yeah, it was yeah. when I was young, that was the first Different person I ever humor, saw yeah. do comedy, and that was kind of what got me into it. But like he doesn't really do stand up anymore mm. anyway. But uh, yeah, when I was young, that was the first person that I'd seen do it. Okay, which person in the world would you most like to meet? Um. Love to meet Billy Connolly. Billy Connolly. Yeah, that's a great shout. Yeah. Shall I tell you? Shall I tell you the 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 story of Billy Connolly? My connection with him. So, I come from Drumchapel, and um, the house I lived in for the first twelve years of my life, it's a place called Three Six Five Kimfons Drive. I can just rolls off my tongue, but um, immediately before we moved in there, Billy Connolly lived in exactly the same tenement house. Right. Um, and he actually came back. There was a South Bank, and I've only got, to, I'd heard about it before, but I'd only got to see it in the last year or so. It was a South Bank show where he was coming back to Glasgow and visiting his old haunts and places where he grew up. And he went to the house. Um, and by this point, we'd, we'd moved to a different a different house, and there'd been a couple of people that stayed there. But there wasn't anybody living there at the time, so I don't know if they still do it, but what they used to do was, if there wasn't anybody living in a the tenement, they would put these metal metal shutters or metal covers over the door and the windows and things like that so he, he goes up the, the stair in the close and then um, he gets to the door and it's this big metal door but they've still got the letterbox so he has a wee look through the letterbox and he just has a wee look and he goes I see they've not even bothered decorating since <laughs> I've been here and I said, my, my, my dad took a wee bit of umbrage to that so he was, he was just but Billy was in his bad books for a wee for a wee while after that. But yeah, so that's my claim to fame is that Billy Connor lived in the house immediately before I was there. So were you in the house when he was peeking through? No, we we'd um, as I say we'd we'd moved around the corner to a, a, a different house um, when I was twelve. I mean it was probably four or five years after that. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's some cracking footage of it. Um, that there's um, you know, there's a there's a. Some photographs, I took some stills of it, I think a different time, I don't know if it was that time, but I'm sure, and one of them, I can see my mum, 
Right. And it's just like it's just fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I love the big man. He's, he's yeah. He's 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 one of my heroes and certainly one of the people I'd love to meet as well. Yeah. So that's a good shout. Yep. Okay, so I'm gonna skip a few. I'm gonna go to page twenty-two and there's a little advert. And it's for a personalised supporter's notebook or a nineteen eighty diary and comb and case. So this one here. Now, I just think that's such a strange combination of things. Okay, so you've got a supporter's notebook. Yeah, fair enough. You've got a 1980 diary. Okay, that's fair enough as well. But no, with that diary, <laughs> you have a comb and a case. <laughs> and it's like, I'm trying to think of why, why the, there would be that connection. Why would, why would they think, right, okay, yeah. let's give them a diary, but also a comb. Why not have a, a notebook <laughs> and just a diary? Um, and there's wee boxes you can tick if you only want the comb. Or the calendar. Yeah. If you don't need to get all three. But yeah, I'm, I'm thinking. I don't know. I, I did give. I actually did give this some thought, and I thought, is it maybe at the time, the sort of hairstyles or the the fashion was you know, I, I know it wasn't grease lightning and things like that. But grease, I think, hadn't long come out then. Had it? Grease was seventy eight. But I don't know how many football fans were big John Travolta supporters, <laughs> and so they you know they were doing the flight. So. <laughs> I just don't know. I just don't see how a comb is going to really be a big thing in the arsenal of a the average um, supporter in those days. So and you can get it personalised as well. I wonder if they personalise the comb or just the case. Just the case. Nigel supports Liverpool. That's what it says in the front. <laughs> maybe maybe when they say it's personalised, it's just not personalised for you. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's Nigel's, but you can have that one. If you're called Nigel, you can buy it. Yeah. So on, on to page 23 to 25, so we have a club spotlight and also has, a, a, in the middle, it's a double-page spread. It's a team photo of Wolves. So John John Barnwell was taken over at Wolves mid-season, last se- the season previously from Sammy Chung, and he started the club, that, uh, turned the club around. Um, he saved them from relegation. Uh, Barnwell has taken on these duties after a car crash towards the end of the season as well. So, And actually... It quotes it as saying this would have reduced most men to an invalidity pension. So I'm I'm guessing it must have been quite a serious car crash, um, but he's he's still managed to, you know, manage the team and bring them through. Um Is that him top right? Uh, yes, I think so. Or well, left or right. Left or right, what do you think, Tom? We've got a fifty fifty here. I th- What's it? it was Richie Barker left. So, so Richard Barker was his assistant, so yeah, on, on the right-hand side there. I thought it was Gordon Strachan at first, because <laughs> I a bit like him. Go, yeah, a, a chubby Gordon Strachan, or, or shall we say a well-built <laughs> Gordon Strachan. He does actually look a bit like Gordon Strachan now you mention it. So I had that wool shirt when I was younger. Right. Uh, old gold, the colour was. Is that the is that the official name for it? Old gold, I believe, yeah. yeah. You want to describe the, the strip? For people. Well, the, the interesting thing about that for me, for, for that era, is that the umbro down the sleeves mm-hmm. it doesn't have the tram lines. I've, so just, the, I've just noticed that. The, the umbro design yeah. was the diamonds and the, the two tram lines down the side, but that that wool shirt just has oh, yeah. so just has the diamonds on yeah. their own down the side. And I can't think of any other club, any other shirt, umbro shirt around that time that had that design down the sleeve that's a brilliant spot I'd, I've never reason. even noticed that before and th- as soon as you started talking about it it was obvious it's on the tracksuit as well um, 
Yeah, that's that very strange. The shirt I had, does that, that team group's a slightly older shirt with a, I, I get interesting because it's got the two badges on it. It's got yeah. the WW in the left and it's got the three wolves in well, the centre. So I was going to ask, is that, was that the old wolves badge? Like that, those yeah. three? Because I thought that was like, looks like Slazenger or like yeah. Puma or something, but three of them. So three wolves and it's got WW for Wolverhampton Wanderers and then they changed it to a, a head, a wolf's head Aye. with wolves I like written the underneath new, it. I like the new badge. I always used to like that, like collecting the stickers and yeah. get a shiny wolves badge. It looked cool. In the team photo, there is um, a few Scottish connections here. We've got Ian Ross, who was born in Glasgow. He never played in Scotland, uh, but he did manage at Berwick Rangers in 1996. Uh, Billy Rafferty was also uh, Scottish. Uh, he joined Coventry from Port Glasgow Juniors in 1968. And Willie Carr is the only other Scot in the photo. So out of the whole squad there, you've got three Scots, and interestingly, you don't have Andy Gray at this time. So presumably he wasn't signed at the time of the team photo. Um, you've got Emily Hughes who was um, recently signed there as well from Liverpool in the centre so you know it's, 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 it is quite interesting that um, there's just you know not a great deal of Scots in there so uh, Willie Carr I'm going to show uh, Stephen this on, this on YouTube kick? if the free kick do you know you've seen this free kick before that Willie that Willie Carr takes so it's, uh, he's playing for Coventry City at the time so uh, this is this is him lining it up. So the the technique was supposedly banned. I think they I called think it they called it the donkey kick. After 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 this. So this is him here. Well, then we'll edit this. So it's not <laughs> pointing video. Uh, yeah, it did. he took his time. He took his time. I mean, it was very important to well, get you this. Don't, right. You don't actually don't see the, the TV misses it at first. Yeah, someone flick it up. Uh, he flicks it up. He takes the ball, but he between his heels and flicks it up. That's him there, I think, with the ginger hair. Uh, but you'll see it. In, you'll see it in the replay. This is great. <laughs> so Willie Carr was most famous for this uh, this flick of a free kick he does for Coventry City. He takes the ball between his heels, flicks the ball up in the air. And uh, his teammate cracks it, well, cracks I, it in. Cause that, well, cause you can only hit it with. You can't really use two feet for, for taking a free kick now, can you? Or is that is what's the rule now? Because they obviously. I mean change that, it after that, that that incident there did actually lead to the rule change that you right. couldn't do that. But see, I, I I'm not hundred percent sure because, you know, for a long time my my. My thought was always that the ball had to complete a full, a full revolution before it was in play. But I think all you have to do is touch it now. Ah, uh, they changed all this, yeah. There used to be something like that and it all has to do is move forward. I, 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 don't, now, I didn't even and, think. And I think they've changed that again. Yeah, because I've seen a few forward. corner kicks that a player just, just touched, touched it and run away and it looks as though he's giving the corner to somebody else and somebody just runs over and starts running in with the ball. Yeah. And it's like... And there was that um, penalty... For was it uh, Henri that they yeah. they've done a pass? Yeah, well they, well, they tried to confuse. Was, it, was that the Pires, Pires one where they, yeah. they completely missed it up? So they tried to they, so, they tried to do yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> so Cruyff <laughs> and Jesper Olsen did that for Ajax. And that's what Henri was trying to recreate. I think Perez didn't quite understand <laughs> what it was he was meant to do. But yeah, that was it. You just need to play the ball forward. Yeah. So apparently, you don't it. technically need to shoot. And so, the keeper. Obviously dived, so he can he could have run out to it, but yeah. But see, based on what we've said about uh, we've seen players run over to a corner kick, just touch it, not move it. 
touch it. And then, why can't you do that with a penalty kick? So you run up, just touch it, and then somebody else comes in. And t- I mean, why would you? Yeah. But And he, know, here's, here's a wee thing I'm going to throw into the mix here. Um, that I've just it came to me the other day watching a penalty kick, right? And I think there was this, there was this penalty kick that was that had to be retaken because there were people encroaching. Now everybody gathers round the D on the edge of the box, right? Now why don't you have attacking players go round the sides? Because yeah. quite often the goalkeeper will palm it out to the side. Yeah. If he saves it. Because so, it's, it's a certain, well, it's 18 yards. Yeah, 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 yeah. Way, so. You've got to be outside the box, so you can still go around the side. Yeah. You? So you can be, I just have never seen that happen. I don't know why people don't. And if it does start happening, you know where it started. <laughs> so, do you know what I mean? It's like, just play the odds, yeah. take the gamble. You know, it's like, Even okay. Even one player at each yeah. side or something. I mean, the, the goalkeeper, the first thought is, I'm going to save it. You know, whatever I do, I'll save it. But my second thought is, if I save it and I've got a chance, I'll get it to the side and if you're coming in from there then you're is that what you're thinking when you're facing a penalty kick because Andy's a goalkeeper so is that what you're thinking when you're facing a penalty kick no I'm thinking about how I'm going to start the just... next goal so score an opportunity once I catch it uh, no <laughs> you, no you think basically you just want to save it and then after that it's like if you get it you know you you try and get a good hand on it or, you know to get it to the side get it away from the goal but you know, you so we need to get a referee. We need to get a referee on. Build up these mm-hmm. questions about the laws of the game. We'll get a referee on and just pummel them with questions. But why don't they do this? Why can't you do that? <laughs> it sounds, do? A, bit, it sounds a bit moany. That sounds a bit moany. That point. I've just had. We've just had a wee update from my ear from Diane in the in the, the studio there that this information on the penalty kicks. Apparently, you have to be behind the ball and behind the penalty spot. So, but that that still gives you a chance to go round the corner. So the the penalty spot's what twelve yards. Yeah. And so you've got six yards between there and the eighteen yard. So you've got six yards at that corner that you can run in from an angle. Yeah. And I just think you know it's it's just something I've never seen, and I've thought. I mean, I've never thought about it until recently, and I thought, well, why don't people do that? You know, you've got you've got enough players. I mean, there's got so many players round there that. Not everybody's going to be able to get in anyway, so you you sort of take players out of there, and and if if the defensive team want to drag players out as well, then it just means the players in the middle have got less to contend with. Yeah, that's yeah. I suppose like if it wasn't behind the ball, then you could technically stand next to the post, like right beside the keeper, mm-hmm. off pitch. Yeah, well you yeah, but I think. From from what we hear that you have to so, you so have it has to, to be behind yeah, the ball, which is still fine. But yeah. I think just coming in from okay, you're further away. But as I say, if the ball was pushed out, then you've got a better chance of getting it from yeah. there. I think I think there's something to this. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. So moving on, um, we've got Keith Birkinshaw, um, who's the Spurs manager, um, saying stop conning referees. So new directors have come in that bans players and managers from talking about individual refereeing performances. So this attitude is something that the game needs to address. Um, it's, it's, this, is, this is still going on today, so we're still talking about it, we're still not resolved it. Uh, basically, way back, 79, they're still saying, yep, you're not allowed to talk to referees, you're not allowed to talk about referees' individual performances. And it's, for me, it's an antiquated 
law, it's an antiquated rule. Um, you know, if we're introducing VAR, why can't we introduce referees, allow them to explain their decisions, allow them to talk about the game? I mean, all it does is it just breeds this um, insular thing about them that, yeah, they, they're untouchable and they, they you know... The, the times that... I think there was a... It was trialled in Scotland for a little bit a few a few years ago. I don't think it was... I don't know why they stopped it. I don't remember any controversies about the referee explaining them. So for me, just let referees be human. Just let them talk about the game, explain their decisions. Yeah. It would it would kill so many, you know, con- controversies and so much passion and things just by at the end of the game. You know, people go, well, why did they give that? Well, the reason I gave this because this, that and other thing. Right, okay, fair enough. I can't really... I might not agree with it, but I understand your reasoning for it. Yeah, I think especially with VAR now, it's it, you've opened it up to, like, you could kind of reverse the referee's decision or whatever. Mm-hmm. So now that that's in, surely you should be able to, like, let them talk about it as well. Like, before when it was just black and white of referee's decision goes, yeah. then it was, like, it was like, fair enough, then we just get on with it. But I think now with, like, VAR... Yeah. you've opened it up a bigger discussion and they should be able to like justify it or mm-hmm. be held accountable well, to exactly it. exactly and there's a, I don't know if you've ever seen it but there's there's this fascinating um video um and it's a it's an English referee and he's Mike so it's David Hillary yeah. so there's a there's a, a YouTube documentary uh, of David Hillary from from 2000 uh which shows you a sort of week in a week in the life kind of thing, but it shows you this clip. And I think the actual clip that the Mike Top thing was for. I don't know if that documentary ever sort of aired in full, but it gets it gets mic'd up for a game between Arsenal and Millwall. And apparently, the Millwall players knew he was mic'd up, but the Arsenal players didn't. Uh, and so th- there's there's a moment where he gives a decision, and Tony Adams is screaming at him and screaming at him. And he calls my, calls my cheat, and the Ellery pulls. And it's it's interesting. It's interesting the way that they talk to the players, and then Ellery pulls them over because it was a head t- t- teacher. That's right, the way he pulls yeah. pulls them over and talks to him. And then Adams calms down and apologises, and so I'm just frustrated kind of thing. But it's it's interesting to 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 hear how he's communicating with the players yeah. and and the tone he's communicating and and what they are saying what they are saying to him. But you can find that. Uh, documentary from 2000 right. David Ellery on YouTube I watched it recently and it's good it's, oh, it's fascinating quite, it's, it's fascinating it's, it's great just being involved I mean it happens in rugby I believe as well but it's just great hearing oh yeah the, the Rugby on. World Cup was was good just, just recently yeah. when, when you stopped and you knew what they were doing you were like oh this is interesting because you knew what they were doing and you could hear what the guy in the, the, the truck whatever was saying was going I think this and, then, and, and the referees going well and sometimes they disagreed kind of yeah. thing and it was really interesting very clear and concise and sometimes the players would kind of start to uh, uh, disagree and the referee would just uh, quietly, quite, quietly shut it down yeah. move, move on See, I, th- th- I think in any situation um, the, at least the frustration it's a lack of information that exacerbates that and the example being if you're stuck on a train or a, a bus and it's you know not going somewhere or if it's you know and you've no idea what's going on and if somebody comes on and says um, the reason for this, that, and that, you, you, you calm down, you right, okay, you accept it. But if you don't get any information and you don't know what's going on, it's like, listen, I have, I have no idea. And, and it, it just builds you up. And it's the same with football. If, 
if you see decisions happening on the part, it's like, what, what was that for? Or the VAR, and you've no idea. It's like waiting for it. It's like this yeah. frustration. It just builds up. Yeah, well, I never, I always thought they should have maybe kind of went the same route as like the rugby referees as well, because the whole point, I suppose, they, they used to say is we don't want it to be really stop start and mm. they're going to someone else in the box and watching it. But that's what VAR is yeah. as well. So they've kind of just went a different route, whereas the way that the, the rugby, it seems like there's not a lot of uh, decisions in rugby that are quite controversial because mm. they just take that wee bit of extra time and yeah. like, and watch it themselves. Yeah, I mean, I in terms of VAR, I I think VAR could be a good thing. So I I, I don't think it should just get rid of VAR. I just I just think it needs to be done right, and it needs to be that the decisions aren't made by the people in the room. I think the referee has to come to the side, look at it, and make a decision himself. The referee should still be in charge. You know, if if they want to bring his attention to something, get him over, let him have a look but the referee makes a decision. It's not somebody in a little room. For, for me, I think VAR should be brought in for something like the Henri handball 2009, France against Ireland uh, in the World Cup game, which is a mistake that's so blatant, absolutely everybody in the ground's seen it, everybody on television's seen it, and you know the second that the referees come home at night, put the highlights on, he's instantly went, oh God, what a yeah. mistake I've made there. And you've got that moment to go, well, come and have a look at it now, and you can see, oh, what a terrible mistake I've made right yeah. now, change the decision. Yeah. And I, I think it's good for something like that, but I, I think that something like that crops up maybe once in every 10, 12 games, mm. but it's getting used 10, 12 times a game. Yeah. And I think it's getting used for the wrong things yeah. at the moment should be on hand when there's something that's like I say that's so massive that, that the second the referee sees it he'll go I've made a mistake there right th thanks for that and I'll make, I'll make the right decision now but so I, I think there should be a stopwatch on it as well 30 seconds if you can't make a decision in 30 seconds then it's not clear and obvious what's going on 30 seconds done Yeah. alternative or as well as you could have two calls that each team can make during the game and it's up to them to say can you look at that? I don't believe it. You know, and there you would still be the controversy because then something would happen later on and believe you wasted yeah, but your decisions. Yeah, well, exactly. But, that's, that's then, but then we'd go, well, what's the point of having it in? Because you've missed that. There's a, would it be know. like the tennis one? Like if it's the right decision, then they get to keep their. Whatever, you know I've, how I've, I've not thought that far in advance. <laughs> <laughs> you know how, like in the. Is it. What's it called? Eat, uh, when it's like. They, they've uh, got. Hawkeye. A, uh, Hawkeye, is it? And, I think so. Yeah, the. And they've got thing. three, like times that they can yeah, do it and if it's challenges. challenges and if it's wrong then that's one of them gone but if it's right they've still got it actually I, I didn't know that that's that's me educated today on that I didn't know that they could keep them on um, yeah yeah, I, I would say why not if, it, if it's a correct decision they shouldn't be punished for it or I don't know I don't know it's certainly something to think about with that one um, just on the same page here so we've got um, George's better half so this is George Heard um, who's a Sunderland coach. Um, now, he's so involved at the club that his wife, Barbara, took the children um, on a holiday to Jersey, so just by themselves. And on a trip away, she won a beauty title, organised by Hotel on the island, and received a bumper bundle of prizes. Um, now, shoot going to here to talk about George's, George Heard's statistics. So, five Scotland Cups with Clyde, or Caps, while he was at Clyde, before joining Sunderland. And then, cheekily, 
They have a wee look at Barbara's st statistics as well. Five foot three, measuring 34, 24, 36. Ooh, misses there. Eh? So we've got a wee picture here of Barbara with her Miss Aberfeldy winner's sash on. So she's wearing her sash and her crown. Um, strangely, there's, there's a little kid that... I don't know if you've seen this, but if you look closely, just look closely. There's a, there's a wee boy. Oh, but yes. that looks as though he's been copied in because he's, he's, he's smaller than he should be and he's in the foreground. Aye. I mean, so, that was probably before the times of Photoshop and stuff. Yeah, but, but it's just a strange... I don't know maybe if that's, that's our, um, our son, but it's just really strange that they've done that. There's yeah. a wee boy with a wee grin in his face. Um, Miss Aberfeldy. So there we go. Um, it just something something wrong about it. Something wrong about it. I didn't notice that wee guy before. Um, so we're moving on. Adrian Heath. There's a little article about Adrian Heath as well. Just a little shot in the middle. Um, and it's an 18 year old Stoke player is a true all rounder. So have you heard of Adrian Heath? Uh, no, whereabouts is this? Sorry, I think it's around about there or something right. over that way. So Adrian Heath is an all-rounder. He played for Everton, um, amongst them other teams. Um, he won honours for badminton, athletics, and soccer. He also plays tennis, um, and he also went on to have quite a successful uh, football career. Um, so there's an article straight to the horse's mouth. Um, I think is that down at the bottom bit there. I still can't find it. Oh, maybe we're, we're probably on another page then. Oh, no, that's still on oh, the same page ah, here. same page. Aye. So, straight to the horse's mouth, this one is. Um, it says, outside Ibrox for a Rangers and Celtic game and a group of fans are standing talking. Apparently, one of the Strathclyde police horses takes a fancy to a ticket that one of the lads is holding and proceeds to nip it off him and eat it. So, you know, you can take this with a pinch of salt, this story, <laughs> I think. But uh, Superintendent Max Frude... So, uh, yeah, that doesn't sound like a real name no, to me, but Ma Max Frude said, the incident has, was witnessed by the mounted policeman and we arranged for the man to get into the game. So, and, and true... He could have easily lied about that, could have said that, oh, that horse ate my ticket if mm. he's not got one. Yeah. But, you know, it was yeah, hospitality. But, and <laughs> we've got proof here, we've got proof here that the policeman's, uh, the superintendent Max Frude, of, you know, no less, says it was witnessed by the mounted policeman. Um, so... I think, shall we take that wee wee pinch of salt? Aye. Aye, okay. That's so, a funny one, Dennis Law also asks, where has the skill gone? I quite like this so, this article, actually. You want to have a wee read through it then, or do you want to...? Uh, well, the, just the, the, the one that I liked, the thing that I liked about it was the fact that he's saying that modern football... Uh, like they've, they've not got any skill and stuff like that anymore and I just think it's sounds funny sounds familiar aye but it just yeah. sounds funny there's always like a sort of older guy who's complaining about modern times mm. and then you'll get nowadays you'll get people going oh well back, yeah, back in then, oh, skill, yeah. so I mean De Dennis says oh, the, the footballers lack the basic skills they can't trap or head a ball properly they can't pull a ball down or slow a game uh, they don't create anything the game seems to be based on um, destroying rather than creating, um, and he blames on coaches. So he's, he's basically saying players are overcoached. Um, and says, by the time they're 17, they've been programmed like robots. So exactly what you said there. Every single five or, five or six years, or somebody yeah. that comes out and says this exact thing about yeah. the current crop of players. Um, it just happens. so happens that at the moment it's true. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
But yeah. do you think it happened back like there's, years before? Yeah, there's probably a, a, an old player who says, that Dennis Law, he can't <laughs> trap the ball, he can't slow a game down. So, yeah, I've absolutely no doubt about that. And the one next to it was the one that Frank Lampard... Uh, senior was in Man mm-hmm. United. It's just a story about two guys holding hands, which I it's thought lovely, was. Yeah. <laughs> it's been, it's, uh, it's dedicated that. I mean, the the heading says Man United, but yeah. we know what they're saying, don't uh, we? No one, none of them so played for Man United. Man United. Yeah. Yeah. The, it's West Ham and Brighton that they played Brighton. for. Ah, it's nice to see. It's nice to see that 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 sort of approach in football. Yeah. So we're on to page twenty. Can I jump? Can I jump in here? Go just ask a couple of questions for for Stephen. So Stephen, if you were a professional football player, what would your ideal career trajectory have been? Well, cl- in terms of clubs, aye. Um, so I would start off with the uh, the maybe a youth academy at Rangers, and then you think you would have broken through? Oh, aye. aye, I would have broken through straight away. Or, in fact, aye, I quite like an underdog story, so I'll I'll go for a, a, a minnow. I'll go for a wee uh, East Stirling uh, <laughs> breakthrough there. Get scouted. No offences to East Stirling. <laughs> uh, get scouted, get brought into the Rangers Academy, and then, you know, break through, become captain at... Uh, 17 <laughs> how, how, is, how is your football skills can you trap a ball can I you can slow tra- game down <laughs> uh, I'm, Dennis Law would be happy to know that uh, I can trap a ball uh, I can slow down the game nah, I'm not I'm not that good actually but, okay. uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I would probably move to England I'd move my, pro- my team when I was younger my English team was Newcastle so I would go. I would go there. I'd get them back to their old days, be the be the the new Alan Shearer. Yeah. Uh, and then I would go to, uh, Barcelona. Right. See, and then I'd see off my days in America, at LA Galaxy. Beautiful. Yeah, that's. <laughs> and you could start your comedy career out, out ah, in LA. Yeah, LA, exactly. He's <laughs> already started it with that story. <laughs> <laughs> and just again, uh, t- uh, talking about the uh, comedy, comedy scene, who out there in the Scottish comedy scenes worth going to see these days? And who's the who's the kind of the the, the breed coming up behind behind you and, and Mark Jennings? Well, uh, you mentioned Mark Jennings there. He's just became the Scottish Comedian of yeah. the Year 2019. Which is title. why he's become too big. Yeah, to exactly. You asked him on the show. And, and I've not heard. You've not heard back. anything back from I'm going to send him the link to it and, and make, let him know that we've been talking about him. Uh, so, yeah, apart from people like that, uh, Stuart McPherson. Right. He's he came up beside us. I don't know if you know Stuart. I, I, I'm, I'm aware of him. I know him. Yeah, he's on Scott Squad, Squad and, and yeah, yeah. stuff no, like that. He's, I think he's quite he's quite funny. The times I've seen him at the stand. Yeah, yeah, he's really good. Uh, but in terms of newer people, Liam Farrelly, he's a good young guy from Paisley coming through. I think he's only nineteen, but he's he's making some waves in the comedy scene. Um, yeah, there's it's actually looking quite healthy just now. The the comedy circuit in Scotland. Good. Which is nice. Have you got anything coming up soon that people can come? Uh, I've got a Glasgow Comedy Festival show in up. March. Okay. Uh, I don't know the exact date, but if you go onto the website, type in Stephen Buchanan. Okay. Uh, it's just basically a work in progress show. We're trying out new jokes and seeing 
if they work, and then hopefully I'll be going to the Edinburgh Fringe next year as well. Okay. We'll, we'll share the details of that. Wait, where are you the, playing at the Fringe? Are you going to a bigger room than um, last time? Yeah, I've not got anything sorted yet, but I'm hoping to probably, uh, hopefully a bigger room. I only had a 50-seater this year, so hopefully maybe the step up from that is maybe 60 or 70, but I could maybe go to 100. Right. We'll see. Um, just going to talk about our, our charity partner here. So we, we plan to do 12 episodes, 12 podcasts for a season. And for each season, we're going to team up with a, a charity part, a partner for, um, you know, a charity partner. And this one is back on side. So I'm just going to read through a little bit of information about them. So here in the UK, one in four people will experience a mental health illness each year. Mental health includes a person's emotional, psychological and social well-being. An obvious widespread problem, yet it is estimated that only a quarter of sufferers receive ongoing treatment, leaving the majority of the UK population tackling these debilitating issues on their own. Here at Back On Side, we have recognised this ongoing dilemma and are determined to rebuild a society where no young person or adult is left tackling mental health problems alone. So they, they do some fantastic work Back On Side. Um, they're our, our charity partner this year. And what, what we plan to do each show is the magazine um, and sometimes some of the items that we, we talk about and discuss, um, we, we make this donate, bu donate button available so people can pay a pound or anything that they want. For each pound that they donate, they get an entry to a raffle. And when we move to the next podcast, we will draw the raffle and the winner will get the, the magazine and any other goodies that we have. Um, so what we'll do is we'll donate 50% of that straight to the charity and the other 50% will come to the podcast to keep it running. Brilliant. So we'll be sharing that on, on Twitter as well. So um, that's been absolutely great. Um, so I think, is there anything else you'd like to add, Tom? Well, I was actually, did we miss the Ask the Expert bit? So uh, there's quite an interesting question in, what, in Ask the Expert. It said, uh, what's the record number of players from the same club playing for their country on the same day since the last war? So the answer, the answer <laughs> at, at that time, this is 1979, so the answer was uh, in Britain, it was uh, eight, it was Leeds United, 15th of May 1971, where they had internationals playing for England, Scotland and Wales. And uh, internationally, it was Torino, who had 10 players playing for Italy on the 11th of May 1947. Mm -hmm. And I, I just thought that was maybe interesting if that record's been broken since. Uh, just in, in the modern day, Obviously, you've got internationals that aren't maybe all taking place on the same night now. It's not all played the Wednesday night. It's played Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. But you've got, with bigger squads, you've maybe got guys who aren't first-team players but are regulars for their country. Yeah. So you might find that there's more than 11 players playing internationally from one club mm. uh, at the moment. So I'd be interested if anybody knows, if anybody out there listening happens to know if that... Uh, a British record of eight international players from one club playing in the same day or ten internationally. Okay. Answers on the postcard with a 12 and a half pence stamp as usual. Um, I just want to pop along to the You Are The Ref. So there's a You Are The Ref uh, column, which is it's basically it's a cartoon type um, strip. What um, page is it, do you know? It's a page 34. Um, and it's it's compiled by Clive Thomas, who is a, is a Welsh referee. But what they do is they go through various scenarios, various situations, and basically ask you, if you were the ref, what would you give? Now, the fascinating one for me 
is on the first one. So they're saying that a player um, refuses to remove a wristband you consider to be dangerous. He's sent off. If you stop to play, um, should you within the the penalty area? Oh no, this isn't it. Right, I've messed that one up. <laughs> we'll cut that bit out. Aye. Well done. <laughs> Is this the right one? Thirty-four. See, you threw me, man. I was all winding down, and you threw me, and I had to get back into that zone. <laughs> um, what? There's another one about the the goalkeeper. That's it. That one. No, there was there was there was one. There was actually one. It was a different one about. Um, and this relates back to the Clyde Bank game yesterday as well, because uh, the the keeper kicked it out and the, or something, and the referee dropped it straight to him. Yeah. Now the rule used to be that if there's a drop ball in the box, the keeper couldn't take part in it, which I didn't know. So I don't know if that that rule has changed or if it's just the drop been ball rule has changed. Yeah. Now. They've made it much less of a. But I don't know if they've specifically changed it so that anybody can, can take part in it. But it used to be that if you're a goalkeeper and it was in the area, so you couldn't just drop it and pick it up for them and pick it up. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I think in in recent years it's became drop balls have became more prevalent because of stopping for in, injuries kind of thing and putting the, the ball out. And it's just a way of getting the ball back in, in play kind of thing. Yeah. I think in, the, in those days, back in the 70s, I think drop balls were only if something weird had happened on, on the pitch that wasn't a, a foul that you, ha- you had to restart the game and, and they usually were ch- challenged mm-hmm. but in, in modern times the balls sportsmanship. Uh, sportsmanship and health health and safety where the referee needs to stop when it's not a foul but it's a head injury or whatever and he needs to stop the game yeah. kind of thing and it's also I think it just gets the referee out of a jam a lot of the time as well just dropping the ball in front of the, goal, front of the goalkeeper yeah. Where it's, you know, he doesn't want to contest it in the box or whatever. It's just, just bounce the ball in front of the keeper and get yeah. the game moving again. Okay, so I'm just going to move on to the Tartan Talk by Derek Johnson. So this is on page 45. So this is a, it was a regular article that Derek Johnson um, did at the time. It was called Tartan Talk for obvious reasons. And the, the title of it says, I never had a punch-up with McLeod. Um, so we've got a photograph of Alan McLeod at the top there. And it's just basically... Um, it's very important for... It's obvious from, from the article that it's very important for Derek Johnson. Scotland, playing for Scotland is very important to him. I mean, he loves playing for Rangers and stuff, but he, he loves playing for, for Scotland as well. And he hadn't played for Scotland since last year. But there was rumours that he had a fallout with Alan McLeod, who, by the point, I think by the point this article went out, Alan McLeod wasn't the manager anymore. But Johnson had actually heard that there was meant to have been a punch-up between the two of them, and he just says that's absolutely ridiculous. So, you know, rumours, obviously at the time, just take take legs and move on. Um, quite interestingly, uh, Derek Johnson offers a belated congratulations to David Cooper, who made his debut um, against Peru in a fr- friendly. So one, there was a 1-1 draw. And I think a lot of people um, sort of say that that was probably one of the best performances Scotland had in a number of years in that 1-1 draw with Peru. Um, so David Cooper made his debut that day. Um, he talks about as an up-and-coming up game against Morton. Um, he says he can't ever remember having it easy against Morton and singles out Andy Ritchie. He said... Um, 
when he's around, no team can afford to take it easy. Um, but as it is, a wee spoiler alert, Rangers beat Morton 1-0 with Derek Johnson actually scoring the winner that weekend. So, so that's pretty much... Oh, you want to have a wee... Well, I like to... I don't know if this is a typo, but it said... Um, I thought Austria were going to wallop Scotland in Vienna last year when they raced to an 8-0 lead. I could hardly bear to watch, but thankfully goals from Gordon McQueen and Andy Gray put a better complexion on the scoreline. Couldn't have finished 8-2 and they thought that was a good <laughs> complexion, was it? Yeah. But I think it must be a typo. That, do you remember an 8-0 loss to yeah, Austria? I remember that. Three. In fact, Three you two. probably try not remember that. <laughs> so, yeah, was it 3-2? It was 3-2, that one? 3-2, I'm yeah. going to say. Yeah, I think maybe, maybe the three has just got the... The, the the you know if yeah. you take if you take off the wee bits of the eight it becomes a three Aye, so we'll go with that yeah we'll go probably. with that <laughs> um, listen um, pretty much got to the end of that so again Steve thank you very much for coming in it's been really enjoyable talking to you and um, best of luck for for the career and for the the shows that you've got coming up as I say we'll we'll share um, details of that if you let us know Cheers. what that is we'll share that and you know people will listen to this come along and listen to them. Um, there's actually I've I've checked out a lot of your stuff on YouTube as well, so all that's there and it's worth worth watching. So that's very enjoyable as well. So thanks very much. Thank you very Cheers much for, for coming. Having me. Thanks, Stephen. Thank you. Okay, so only thank you everyone for joining in, and until the next time, let's shoot the breeze. Mm-hmm.